Hello and welcome to Meet the Education Researcher. This is a podcast from the Faculty of Education, Monash University in Melbourne, Australia. Hello and welcome back. Today we're talking about digital technology with Dr. Mary Heath from Loyola University in the US. Mary's research and teaching works to encourage an informed techno-scepticism around the social, political, cultural and economic dimensions of technology in schools. Originally a high school social studies teacher, Mary's part of the Civics of Technology project and is doing some great work around supporting teacher activism and community scrutiny of edtech. Now, this is not the usual approach that most education researchers might take to digital issues. So I started off by asking Mary what it was that triggered this critical turn in her own thinking around technology and schools. You know, I was always an early adopter. I grew up, uh, you know, I was in high school in the late 90s and I was like sneaking onto internet forums and learning to code then. And so when I became a teacher, I thought, oh, it'll be so great. Everything I like, I'll, I'll be able to have students talking in ways that they couldn't before and connecting. And so I was really an optimist about technology. And I was an optimist about the democratization of information and accessing information. I was a social studies teacher and I thought this, that it would be really wonderful. Um, And then when I was doing my dissertation work, I was, I was working with two social studies teachers who were adopting one-to-one technology and they had initiated it. And they both kind of took different pedagogical approaches. One was really particularly critical. One was more traditional. They were both really reflective practitioners. Um, And in the midst of their adoption, the district uh, started its own one-to-one initiative and it was a mess. And they, they, um, the ways that they sort of steamrolled the wisdom of the teachers and the, the ways that they brought ed tech companies in and sort of it became less about this grassroots movement of these teachers and more about what the ed tech companies were promising. So, I mean, that's led you to kind of disentangle the mix. As you say, you've got the big tech companies, the school administrators, the individual teachers, the parents, the families, the communities. So, I mean, you've kind of developed this idea of techno-scepticism. So um, you, you, kind of, you describe this as an informed scepticism. But, I mean, can you elaborate on what this kind of stance is towards technology? Yeah, so... One of the um, the other things that's sort of come out of my work is in general, first through society and then specifically in the society of schools, a, a moment to kind of just pause and decide if the ways that we are thinking that we should use technology have been, are, are things that have been told to us or if they are truly what we need and desire and are best served sort of for me, like the purposes of democracy, justice, education, those are kind of my guiding things that I try to move toward. And I think that sometimes our reaction is just automatic. It's just messages that we've received, you know, this will be good, it'll be progress, it'll be engaging, whatever that that means, you know. Um, And so techno-skepticism just asks uh, to put just a pause before an adoption of a technology to say, whose interest is this serving? And what are unintended consequences of this? What are ways that our environment might irrevocably be changed by adopting this technology? Who could be harmed by this? In what ways does it amplify power? What ways does it amplify oppression? Um, And so just pause, ask those questions, 
And then if the answer to those questions is that it, it's going to hurt someone or change in a way that you don't want it, then stop or figure out what you need to fix and change before you adopt the technology. So it's a kind of slowing down and also kind of contextualizing within a kind of local context, which is really interesting. But technology is a kind of positive project. So I mean, a lot of people would hear what you've just said and said, hang on a minute, you cannot encourage students to be critical about technology. You need them to be pro-innovation, to think about the blue skies, you know. How do you kind of respond to that kind of criticism that you're, you're, you're a Luddite, you're, you're anti-progress? I think uh, I, I try to come back to the things that I'm for. So I, I less think of that I'm anti-technology and I'm more pro a multiracial democracy, pro-justice, and then can say, well, and does this serve that interest? And pause again the like um citizens for the 21st century we need thinking think creative thinkers and learners and innovators and like oh, what does that mean <laughs> like just pause that does, does that make the world more just does that make the world more equitable does that make us work towards a common good and if so then like let's talk about how and move toward that and if not then maybe let's reconsider those words so i think we're all for those things, or I hope, you know, I'll assume we're all for those things. So then how can we work toward that? And does technology, is it helping us work toward that or not? So you're not anti-technology, you're pro-society. Yes. But I mean, a lot of a lot of people actually, I found recently, are actually quite prepared to think the worst about technology. We've seen this kind of tech lash. And there is actually a danger sometimes when you push the techno-skepticism line that people descend into outright techno-cynicism. So, I mean, you're, you're retaining a sense of hope about technology. I mean, I, I live in the world and look, I love that we're able to do this right now. But I just think, again, you know, pausing and thinking like, but what does Zoom need to eat <laughs> to survive when we do this? Um, so how, in what ways am I feeding it? And what ways am I appreciative that I fed it? <laughs> Absolutely. No, that's a really kind of balanced way. And you mentioned the Civics of Technology project, which I think is fascinating. So you're encouraging teachers and students to kind of critically inquire into the effects of tech on their individual and collective lives. So it's a research, but I was really interested in the teaching and the teacher activism side of it. I mean, can you give some good examples of uh, some good success stories, perhaps, of how schools and teachers can be supported to engage more critically or skeptically with tech? What's come out of the Civics of Technology project? Yeah. So I'll say that I teach in a um, Masters of Ed tech program. So I work with teachers regularly. Um, and one of the things that I we do together is an ed tech audit. We audit an educational technology. And when you start to do that and you ask techno-skeptical questions, like you said, it's really easy to sort of slip into techno-cynicism and say, well, I guess everything's awful and <laughs> we shouldn't do anything. Um, and I think it's partly the social studies teacher side of me and just generally the kind of citizen that I want to be is not that everything is awful, but in fact, some things are, but we have agency and we can then do something. So the, the second step is working with teachers to think, how can I make change in different sort of levels. So personally, what are some personal things I can do to make change in my relationship with technology? And then pedagogically, how can I have agency in my teaching to use technology differently? And then professionally, how can I sort of educate and leverage the position I have as a teacher? And then finally, collectively, when we're talking about like systematic change, 
there's power in many teachers or communities, parents, children, and teachers working together to make change. Yeah. So as you say, auditing, documenting, joining up the dots, making the big, seeing the bigger picture. And that, I mean, that I can see how that works with teachers. I find it really difficult to work in schools to get students to think critically about school technology because they're students in a school and they think about school things along school lines. I mean, have you had any more success? I mean, how can you properly engage young people to think critically about the tech that they are using or are used on them in schools? Are schools the right place to do it? Well, I think I think so. I think they're one place to do it. So the colleague of mine, Dan Krucka, who's at University of North Texas, he and I started the Civics of Tech project together. And he also is a social studies educator and just wrote an article with another social studies educator. His name is Scott Metzger. Um, where they analyzed how technology is taught in social studies. So that's a it, social studies is a great place to teach technology because we talk we teach society. But in social studies, technology is almost always weapons of war, canals, <laughs> and the industrial revolution, and that's technology. And so there are natural places, I think, absolutely into in social studies, but also in science. Science does a lot of thinking about technology. There are. Um, sort of natural occurrences that already exist in the the school curriculum to develop, I think, lessons around technology and society. So, I mean, let's move on to research um, as, a, as opposed to the kind of teaching side of it. I was really interested in that 2021 paper of yours. You talked about techno-ethical audits, but the, the paper you did making a techno-ethical audit of remote educational technologies, Google Classroom, Google Meet. I mean, can you talk us through this techno-ethical audit approach? I mean, what do you do and, and what do you find? So we asked, uh, I wrote it with my colleague, Ben Gleason, and we looked at Google Meets and Google Classroom using those techno-skeptical questions. So does the design of the technology essentially nudge pedagogy? Is it designed with justice in mind? Is it designed um, with ethics in mind? Is it environmentally just? So we ask all of these sort of series of questions. And what we found particularly it was you know a particular time and place so it's during the pandemic when uh, schools had the opportunity students could choose to either return to class or be online and we found that Google it I, I think it held up its promise to recreate school but the problem is you can't just study technology it's educational technology so if school is a system of power with a teacher on top of students, with like the banking model of education where they're filling up students, then Google Classroom and Google Meet did, did a great job allowing that to be recreated in an online space. But it didn't allow, it, it, the design of the, the technology doesn't really allow, even if you were so inclined to have a more sort of critical pedagogy approach, it's difficult when there is already like a user ha- who has more power than every other user and who literally fills in the curriculum that then goes out to the students. We also found that their surveillance of Google kind of amplified their surveillance of schools. So schools could now monitor students in more intense ways. How long were they there? How much were they engaged? And then send letters home to students for being truant from school if they weren't online for an extended period of time, which then in the United States, truancy is actually, there's a a legal obligation for truancy. Parents can be held accountable for that. So there's this weird paradox where both the school is increasingly surveilling students, but also asking 
parents to surveil students at home as well and sort of bring them back over and put them back in front of the classroom. So the questions kind of allowed us to look at the technology through lenses of both media ecology, like how does it change or continue the environment, and also critical theory and issues of power and surveillance and who is most and least harmed by this. So, I mean, it's kind of a techno-ethical audit of the school and, and how they're using the technology. I'm, I'm, I'm really interested about what else you can't pick up. I mean, just because of the, the lack of access we have as social science researchers to, to the code, to the kind of the black box of Google Classroom. I mean, what else do you think you might find if you could open up the APIs and have a look in the black box? Yeah, actually, to just circle back to an earlier question, one of the things that I sometimes do with students is have them pull up, you know, now Google lets you see all the information they've collected on you if you click on that. And like the minute you do it, it's terrifying because you realize the ways that everything you've done intersects your maps and your photographs and your searches and your Gmail and whatever. I mean, I'm sure, like you said, that that is happening on Google's end of, of the students and they're putting together these incredible packages of information on our children to sell our kids back to themselves. But Ben, even pointing out what you don't know is really kind of critically quite powerful. So I mean, that's, that's a fascinating approach. And you mentioned um, media ecology and kind of critical theory. And I'm just interested. I mean, there are lots of actually, there's a lot of interest in critical tech approaches from outside education research. I mean, which theoretical or conceptual approaches towards tech have you found most resonate with schools and education? What, what sort of questions and actions are they raising? I am particularly uh, really like Ruha Benjamin's embedded injustice work um, and the ways that she sort of asks us to both interrogate oppression in society and the ways technology reproduces and amplifies that. And then I think it's really easy to think about school school as society. Um, so it's easy, I think, to bring that approach to schools and think about the ways that ed tech could create and reproduce society in schools and, you know, what kind of society do we want and how is education and educational technology kind of preventing that and helping that come to fruition? Yeah, I mean, questions of power, questions of control. I mean, as you say, there's so much interesting work going on in the kind of critical race space and also the kind of the black feminist approach to technology as well is really, really interesting. Yes, yes. I really find that the black feminist approach to technology integration or the critiques that are coming out of like Timnit Brew and uh, Sophia Noble, all of those women are doing really powerful work. Uh, I, I just worked on an article where we tried to bring those approaches into ed tech and think about what that might look like and kind of call and position for research that would include that. And another article that I just wrote, again, methodologies too, that were, like, just don't seem to be present in ed tech. And I don't, I don't understand why actually I haven't I haven't figured that out um why we're feel like resistant to that I've got many theories um, that's an, that's that's another that's another podcast but actually just a final a final question I'm really interested in this idea of methods and approaches and one of the things that your work tries to do is to get teachers and students to to think otherwise so you've kind of engaged in storytelling and visioning and you know you talk about stimulating techno-skeptical imaginations so there seems to be kind of like a kind of creative method or a creative approach there. So, I mean, what methods and approaches and mindsets do you think ed tech researchers and education researchers in general need to adopt to get people thinking critically and thinking kind of creatively? Yeah, I do sort of like the um, the worst case scenario, 
uh, worst case scenario, like Black Mirror sort of pause, I, I find that it's actually really, really hard for teachers to do a techno-ethical audit without first doing like a dystopian sort of imagining. So we often do the worst case scenario first. So we think of all of the weight, all of the people that could be harmed, all of the worst sort of things that could happen, write a little story about that. And then once you're already thinking, sometimes we'll do like a, what do I, I always think of it as like, see the plant in Little Shop of Horrors, like feed me, see more, like what, what does it want from us? And once we, we talk about that, then we can do the more sort of traditional work of critiquing on the technology. <laughs> One time we did found poetry from all of the slogans of ed tech companies. And it's so uncomfortably dystopian when you start putting all of those meaningless phrases together. You were saying, you know, blue skies and innovation and just like all of that in one long poem is <laughs> disturbing. Yeah, I saw an, an AI art piece where they fed um, all the advertising slogans from the the kind of Cannes Advertising Festival into one of these natural language processes, and it started writing poetry using the language of advertising. As you say, it was chilling. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I love those. Found poetry, storytelling, you know, there's all sorts of artistic interventions that we can use to kind of get people thinking critically. So, I mean, that's a suitably inspiring note to end on, I think. Thanks ever so much for taking the time for chatting, Mary. This is clearly really important work, so I wish you all the success under the sun. Thank you, and I hope you have a great day.